So I would say to the chiropractor who mistakenly thinks that they're a chiropractor and they forget that they're actually a sales and marketing business, uh, then your role, if you really want to help people be better off, is let people be aware that you exist and uh, let them get the full solution that's available to them instead of a partial solution. Now, if you can't help someone be better off, you have no place selling. I agree with you. You shouldn't be trying to sell anybody on something that won't help them be better off. Welcome to the Marketing Your Practice podcast, where we guide natural health and wellness experts through the pitfalls of marketing. Each episode, you'll learn simple, effective, easily actionable, and heart-centered marketing strategies. And here's your host, Angus Pike. A huge welcome to the Marketing Your Practice podcast. You're here with Angus Pike from Audio Media. And I've got an opportunity right now to share with you my coach, James Shramko. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Angus. This is, uh, I said to you when we started off, because I'm watching your content each and every week, diving in there. And then when I get in here, I assume that you should know as much about me in this content as I do uh, about you. So if I get a bit familiar at any stage, forgive me with regards to that also. You know, it's like um, a, a good marketer should know a lot about their audience anyway. Like they really have to intricately know their customer to be a good communicator and to solve their problems well. Uh, I imagine in your field of work, you have to do some diagnostic stuff to understand how you're going to solve a patient's problem. So I do actually meet a lot of my customers and I converse with them so often that I'm running these multiple um, sort of databases in my head of, of every customer. I, th I think it's too simplistic to have one customer avatar mm. and we should take the effort to get to know our customers better than we do. Mm. Well, I, I first came across your content maybe a couple of years ago. I, I then read your book and, you know, we were wanting some help at that time to really dive into our membership portal, um, you know, which we have through Community Influence, of which, you know, you've been stunningly helpful for us as well. Before we dive into this whole concept of marketing and, and how we can have better community outreach, you know, for those of our listeners that might not be as aware of your background, can you just take us through a bit of a journey of what led you to, to where you are now? Sure. Um, you know, I went through a series of jobs and found myself in sales uh, and worked my way through sales in the automotive industry. Um, the, most of my career was spent with Mercedes-Benz and uh, went well with sales and got promoted to sales manager. And I went well with that and ended up running the dealership as a general manager. And then I decided I wanted my own business, but I wasn't sure what because I, I didn't finish university for any particular skill. <clears throat> so I'm not a specialist as such. And I figured the internet was going to be important. And I started teaching myself how to build a website. And, uh, and then I had some success after a lot of difficult um, starting phase, finding a product that I could actually sell as an affiliate so I could apply my sales knowledge on the internet and then it was a natural evolution of starting to create my own courses and information. And I was able to quit my job along the way about 11 years ago. And from then I started helping other business owners who wanted to master the internet and especially um, if they were wanting to strengthen up sales or conversions or learn how to run a team. Uh, a lot of stuff I'd learned at Mercedes-Benz that lots of online businesses don't know. Mm. And then of course there's lots of, real world physical premises businesses that are getting squeezed out by online 
businesses. So a lot of those businesses need to understand how the online marketing works. So um, I ended up serving a lot of the customers who serve those end users. So I've basically become uh, created a hub of um, an environment of, of those agencies and service operators who's, who serve other customers. And uh, it's a great network. We've created a little community and it's been going for about 10 years now. It's a beautiful community and, and a really valuable one too. And, you know, I, I've been a student of marketing, uh, you know, very consistently for the last decade and it never ceases to amaze me. Uh, my other mentors who had you as their mentor along the way. Talk about kind of the man behind the man and the woman, so to speak, there too. You've had a tremendous kind of reach out. This is something you've been doing for a long time. It's not a kind of, you know, uh, new kid on the block, so to speak. Yeah, it's like when I came into online marketing at the end of 2005, I was wondering if I was too late because it had been around for a decade already. And uh, most of the information that you could find was really American based because they were just well and truly down the path of dot coms and, and e-commerce compared to the Australian market. But now I would say um, everyone's caught up. Like, you know, we all use phones and tablets. We all know what a tweet, tweet is and we're all on Facebook. So that's now the playing field. And uh, I think, yeah, just some, some time in over, over that 14-year uh, period, I've tried a few things. I've seen a lot of information and, um, and I've been lucky enough to take from my old job the ability to communicate and to network. And I physically got myself on the aeroplane and traveled across to other markets and developed out my own network. So I've traveled to the UK and I've traveled to Asia and I've traveled to the USA every single year for the last decade and built a solid network. And there's no substitute for getting away from the computer and getting into a, a room with real life humans when it comes to advancing your business. And that's where I've connected and, and met the people who I coach. And a lot of the people I coach, have got um, tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of students so that they've, they've got a lot of reach and I'm lucky enough to see what's working for them and then to be able to quickly cross-pollinate those ideas with other customers of mine. So mm. it, it feeds itself. I'm excited to be <clears throat> picking into a little bit of that brain today. So, you know, lots of our listeners, you know, they're small business owners and, uh, you know, they have lots of face-to-face -face contact with people and they probably need to spend a little bit more time at the computer. And we have an area of expertise, many of us as, as chiropractors, it's five years of study and some more there. Uh, but all that study is spent on, uh, you know, expertise with regards to helping our patients. And never did anybody tell me along the way that along with helping the patients is this thing that needs to happen in core business. And I think somehow, and this is a similar uh, kind of story for many of our listeners and people that we coach too, even worse than that, we, we were somehow subliminally got told this message that marketing is really for those practitioners who just can't help people. If you're really good at what you do and you get great results, then internal referrals will be all that you need. And sadly, I have too many case studies of fabulous practitioners who failed in practice because, not because they weren't great with their hands or their skills there too, is that they just couldn't run a business. So I'm hoping that today might be, you know, marketing 101 for those people that are wanting to step into it. Where do we start? How do we dive into this world? Where's my time best spent? 
um, if I'm wanting to start to have some sales and marketing of my practice? Uh, well, I'd, I'd be having a look at uh, profit levers and uh, making sure you understand what they are and which ones are more important than others. And um, there's five of them that that are important. So, if, you know, if we're talking 101 fundamentals, we shouldn't skip that step because I don't think every business actually knows what they are. Mm. Um, well, let's go. Well, the first one is um, basically leads. It's how many people you're actually prospecting to. Before that, you could even say there's suspects like this. There's people out there. Not everyone is your customer, um, but some of them should be. So the leads is the number of people that you're actually being able to have a communication with. I've seen those chiropractor leaflets dropped in letterboxes, you know, with disguised as news from some of the more savvy marketers or the, the, the ad uh, in the paper that uh, that sort of looks like a news article and then you can contact that's that's how you generate leads so that's the first aspect the next part is um, the conversions it's how many of those people can you move into being a paying customer so there's things that you can do around the conversion side of it once you've got the customer then you have a look at other things like um, how much are they actually spending with you like what's the uh, amount of the purchase and then beyond that, it's what's the frequency of purchase? How many times do they spend with you in a year or ever? Uh, it's good to know the, the lifetime value of a customer, like to work out how much they'll spend with you over time in total. What is that customer actually worth to you? And then the final part is your margin. It's what are the costs of your business? So you can have a look at um, usually in a business like what you're describing, you're going to have costs such as office and staff. And then there might be other things like, you know, pesky things like insurance and advertising and electricity and rent and water coolers and the list will go on and on and on. Right? The, the main goal really of the business is to get and keep a customer. That's a Peter Drucker saying. Mm -hmm. um, the, the way you do it is through marketing and innovation. So the, some of the ideas that we're learning today will be innovations. And if you don't know any of the stuff I've already talked about, then that's fantastic. You now have a world to dig into and improve. But I will tell you the most important place to, to focus. If I could only pick two, it would be frequency. I'd want to make sure a one-time customer becomes a multiple customer. So I'd be looking at ways you could... Um, encourage that customer to become part of a subscription program or to um, to market to existing customers to have them come back and buy again. It's going to be much more cost effective than to find new customers. And the other part that I'd focus on is the conversions. That is the part where you turn a lead into a customer and that can really be handled well um, in the marketing sense by having better sales communication um, using case studies of existing customers who are very happy um, putting that, those proof elements on your website or in your marketing materials, targeting a specific type of customer. So you might target sports people, you might, might target uh, new parents or, or like a particular client profile that makes it easier for them to recognize that you're that person who deals with that specialty. Uh, you can also make sure whoever's in the office, if it's not just you, is trained on good sales technique by giving them a sales script that you would like used every single time. And you can also make sure that that first appointment, maybe it's a free consult, 
leads to a great sales presentation that will cause someone to enroll in a, a program. And uh, my experience with chiropractors is there. Some of them are quite good at that. It's like you go in once, you're going to be there for the rest of your life. That's mm. the way they, they take that sale. Well, many, and I guess too, you know, many of us as chiropractors see chiropractic as one of those things that's just part of a healthy lifestyle. So as it opposed to it being a therapy to fix something, this is something that we do to keep well, you know, a bit like eating healthy food each week and walking. And I know particularly it's been interesting to see the changes in your health of, of recent there too, where that's become a real value for you. Massive. I'm sure you get this come from time to time because as soon as we start to talk with many practitioners about there being sales and marketing, it, it, there's a jump that they need to make because they, it keeps on coming back to this idea, well, you know, really my focus should be on just helping James get out of his digestive problems. And uh, what, 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 why does that need to have any sales with regards to that or marketing with regards to that? Or, you know, I, I'm just going to find out why James is having his achy joints or his headaches or whatnot. And then, and then why, and then any, there's almost an ethical barrier that comes up for many people that says, you know, sales is that kind of thing for the car dealer down the road there or for somebody else. It has no place inside the health practice. What's your thoughts? Because I'm sure you have other industries saying that same thing to you. Well, if you want to help James, you have to make sure James knows you exist and that James believes you can solve his problems. And um, you'd have to think, would James be better off coming once or would he be better off coming several times? So if that's the case, then you need to create the environment that makes it easy for your customer to know that this is a good move. So I would just say redefine selling as helping people be better off. It's as simple as that. Now, if you can't help someone be better off, you have no place selling. I agree with you. You shouldn't be trying to sell anybody on something that won't help them be better off. So when it comes down to ethics, that's just a personal choice. If you, know, if you knowingly sell something that's not good for people, then that's, that's a bad person ethically. It's nothing to do with sales. Sales is an unemotional process. It's simply the description of that process from changing from the current situation to a better alternative situation. So I would say to the chiropractor who mistakenly thinks that they're a chiropractor, and they forget that they're actually a sales and marketing business, uh, then your role, if you really want to help people be better off, is let people be aware that you exist and uh, let them get the full solution that's available to them instead of a partial solution. Yeah, I, I love that distinction. I think it was, I'm trying to think, I first kind of heard this definition over from the gang at uh, strategic coach where they talked about kind of sales and marketing, getting people, you know, emotionally engaged in the future result that's good for them. And I think that's what you kind of in essence said there too. Well, they might've lifted it from Neil Rackham who wrote spin selling. And, uh, you know, I believe he's probably one of the true researcher pioneers in the sales field. Uh, like one of the first fully data backed, um, sales, educational pieces in, in the eighties. And he has that definition of a sale that it's a process of, of improvement more or less. Yeah. James, tell me that name again. Neil Rackham spin selling. Yeah. Terrific. So once we kind of, I, I, cause I can see that if we buy into that concept, 
Um, you know, because I'm of the thought that one adjustment a year is better than none, and two is better than one, and three is better than two. You know, so if I and that's my experience with 20 years of practice is that health is one of those things that's more about it, as I mentioned before, that ongoing journey rather than it being an, an event from there. So when you, cause you introduced a concept before that is foreign to many of us, the concept of having conversations with people on their journey before they even become a customer as well, which kind of, I think comes a little bit into that kind of profit lever one and then into some of the other ones, the conversion as well. How would that happen? You know, what, how do I have my practice? So I've got people I'm looking after inside of here as well, but then I've, I've got all these other people that I'm warming up along the way before they actually become customers, clients, patients. Publish content, like publish a video every day, share, a, um, share something insightful or useful every day on your phone and put it out to social media. Uh, which I've been doing and works really, really well. That's why people feel like they know me because I publish. So one of the concepts that I like around health is that you either spend your money on the health along the way, or then you spend it with the doctor at the end, you know, like you're going to spend it either way. Mm. And I think it's probably, you have a better life if you're healthy during it. So I'd be taking those concepts and putting them into content and, and letting the market know about this so then they can start to, to be, um, as Cialdini would say, pre-suaded. You, yes. can, you can build, you know, warm people up to the, first they have to know they even need it. And once they become aware they need it, then they might move from the awareness phase into the phase where they actually become a buyer. Next time they get a sore back or they can't turn their neck or whatever, uh, then they might, oh, yeah, that's right. Maybe I should try going to see a chiropractor. Um, go and find the influences. Where do customers come from before they arrive at the practice? Do they, are they visiting a sports physio? Are they um, seeing a certain general practice doctor who's a real believer in chiropractic? Like, find your feeding source and make sure you go and warm those up with good content too give them things they can give their customers. Right. So can we talk about types of content, how long the content should be, uh, dealing with the technical overwhelm that might come along with that as well. So I'm going to say, you know what, because for many people, the thought of, you know what, publishing a video every day, people just, their minor coronaries happening with people in their cars or as they're walking the dog at the moment, they're too. But this can be done in a way that's really simple. So could you talk through a strategy that might have somebody producing a piece of content every day? Uh, without overwhelm? Yeah, just um, put up on a white, basically put up on a whiteboard, um, put a line down the middle and uh, you can produce out in the back room or the staff room or whatever. On the left-hand column is the question and the right-hand column is the answer. So um, when someone asks a question, when they come in for a consult and they ask a question or when you go to an information night or a trade show or a dinner party, or a barbecue and someone asks you a question about what you do, write it down. And then beside it on the right hand column, write the answer. There's your video. The next thing is you pick up your phone and put it on selfie mode and hold it like that. And then you record it, introduce yourself, state, state the question, answer it, and then have a call to action, which is simply telling people what to do next. Yeah, which could be, if, if you're interested in this, get in touch with us. And then you just upload it to your favorite play, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, whatever platform your audience is at. 
And would your thoughts be that it's okay to start with one platform first and then while I'm asking questions too, how long should that video be? And are there other call to actions as well? There's three questions all in one. Sorry about that. So the video could, could be um, 30 seconds or two minutes long. It doesn't have to be long. Short's good. My, my videos are typically two minutes. Um, one platform, sure. Just load it up. No one's going to see it for the first few videos anyway. Over time, you could start involving. If you happen to have an office assistant, someone in the office there helping out, uh, if they're socially savvy or computer savvy, you'll find it's pretty easy for them to upload to multiple places. Uh, my team do this for me every single day. They load it to six places, but that's advanced. We didn't do that in the beginning. I put it to one and then three and then five. Six is sort of gold star. Um, and in terms of calls to action, other calls to action um, these days, I'd be looking at once you've got a few videos, ask people to subscribe. You know, wherever you see this video, be sure to subscribe and you'll receive more tips like this. Another call to action would be a comment. Um, what is the, um, you know, what remedies have you tried for, uh, for your sore neck or whatever? You know, post a comment below and you can engage people. Another one would be if you've got questions, then um, send us a message. I'd love to help you out and start engaging with that customer. So basically tr try and ask people to do um, an activity that would, would help you out, um, which of course is designed to eventually help them out too. Yeah, beautiful. And I love, uh, you know, we teach a lot of video from Adio Media and I, I, I love live video and I love this simple self. In fact, I think now these sorts of videos in many cases build a level of authenticity that doesn't come from something that's incredibly highly produced because we don't, sometimes it's too difficult to see the real you. Uh, it's okay sometimes to have a, a, you know, a stumble of a word in there and the speed of implementation is so quick for you to be able to do that. Um, and as you said before, it, it, we often talk about the frequently asked questions and I would just piggyback on top of that and said, look, for this next week, if you have a pen and paper near you uh, in your adjusting room, tell your front desk staff the same thing. Every question that gets asked, just write it down. Um, you, you'll probably come up with a month or more content there um, and then just ask your patients to just say to them too, hey, listen, we're about to start shooting some regular videos. What are the questions that you have that you'd like us to answer? And that, that, that's it. The, the content we'll just hold an information night. Uh, you know, I, I had a... Um had a one-hour call yesterday, and I wrote down 38 questions and answers. So at one a day and 20 videos a month, if you're calling workdays, there's two months' worth of content that I gleaned in one hour from my customers. So this is, this is not difficult. Yeah, and if you can't do that, just go to Facebook. <laughs> just go to any group where people uh, who you help hang out and find out their questions relating to your field and you don't even have to you can just um, lurk it's called just watching <laughs> I went to someone else's group and wrote down all the questions they were being asked and this group owner doesn't really know how to answer them but I do so I'll make videos about them yeah great strategy and then you said before because in the early stages not many people are going to watch our videos how long do I need to keep this process up before I should start seeing some results? 
I would, uh, I would be prepared to do it for a while before you see it. Same when I started podcasting. I didn't really get much traction initially. It's a long-term strategy. However, the longer the better, really, because um, think of it like planting seeds and growing an orchard. It will take a while and you'll have to keep the bugs off it and you keep watering it and growing it. And you, you know, great, I planted the seeds. When can I eat my apple? It doesn't work like that. Once you do get the harvest, you know, you can go and pick the fruit from the tree anytime you want. You can even sell it to the neighboring farms. Like you'll have so much abundance and it'll last for a long time. So lucky I started podcasting 10 years ago because it's, it's a core publishing mechanism that's worked really well for my business. And I've got so much momentum now. Anytime I hit, you know, publish on a new episode, we will get 2,000 people listen to that episode in the first day. And so any message I want to get out there, I can just, I just grab a microphone like this, talk into it and then reach my audience. But it's, it's because I've got that orchard over time. So I would say months, um, certainly one year. I started redoing daily videos one year ago. I've done 300 videos. They're one to two minutes long. So that is um, 600 minutes, let's call it. 10 hours and the first few months I think I made one or two thousand dollars nothing spectacular and I thought oh that's interesting let's keep going with it I logged in uh, today after one year I started one uh, one year and about three or four weeks ago there's two hundred and five thousand dollars attributed to those particular videos for my um, 10 hours worth of work and that will snowball because I've dialed in the frequency. These customers will keep buying for the next year and a half, two years as a minimum. So that's, that's probably half a million dollars just from those short videos. It all relies on consistent repetition. Like eventually everyone around you is going to keep seeing the videos and they'll know all about what you do and it's just a matter of time until something happens. It's almost impossible to keep publishing the, the content and not get a result. And when you're making those videos too, are you making them every day? Do you kind of block record a bunch of them? Uh, I did four this morning when someone didn't show up for a call and uh, I've got another 30 something there to do. So I'll just, I'll take them out when, when I go for a drive with my wife later, I'll make a couple at the beach. Um, I might go up to the rooftop, make a few more. I only make them when I feel like it. Main thing is I just have to remember to shave and maybe change my T-shirt occasionally. That's about it. Um, but I'm not super fussy about it. You'll see plenty of videos where maybe I didn't shave or the lighting's not perfect. I am a, I'm a poster boy for not being perfect. You know, I don't even use a lav mic anymore. I just use the phone straight up. I do put it on a bracket and I use an LED light, if I remember. Um, sometimes I forget to turn it on, but this is all I, all I use. Mm. Is that, this bracket, that light, tripod. When I started doing videos like eight, nine years ago, I had DSLR cameras and boom mics and backdrops and the whole works. And, and now I don't have any of that. It's, it's just like the least amount of equipment. If you can walk into an Apple store you can make videos. Yes, but speed of implementation and lowering the barriers, I find too. The, you know, the cameras are on our phones now. 
uh, are extraordinary, um, you yeah. know, and the sound provided you're not outside in the wind um, and you're in a relatively quiet area, the need even for external mics is coming down and down. But even if you did get one, they're, they're certainly not expensive. Um, you I've know. got the one in the drawer, but it's, that's all the way down there. Yeah. So we've, <laughs> we've talked about on that kind of profit lever. I want to kind of jump into this next one, if it's okay, where we talk about conversion. Um, yeah. As, as well and, and doing the best job and you, and you talked about kind of you know making sure that we're choosing the right people as well what other factors play a real role in turning that person from a lead into an actual customer well making the pathway easy so yes. it's easy for them to see how to proceed use lots of proof um, evidence like support your claims um, communicate in a way that is easy for people to understand. So mm. some people do fancy English, like they were English graduates. That's not how people communicate. So conversational style actually sells really well. Um, being able to um, present your solutions in a, in a logical, simple way mm. is nice as well. That can be one of the challenges that we have because we've just had five years diving through anatomy and physiology books, you know, and learning about epicondyles and spinothalamic tracts and all those kind of things there too. And sometimes I want to communicate that way to you because I want to impress you about how much that I have learned. And then my experience is that actually has the opposite effect many times because it overwhelms the communication is not great. And that idea of really dumbing it down there too, it's like, oh man, hang on, my doctor, and I've just spent all this time studying, let me use my big words. But that, that's something that, that you would really find too, is just keeping it simple. Yeah, trying to eliminate jargon. For most, most customers aren't going to understand that stuff and they might not want to. Be like the, like the mechanic, um, you know, does the customer who buys a Mercedes-Benz need to know that the spark plugs have sodium, you know, in them or that the Gaibo coupling joins the drive shaft to the rear universal or do they just want a really nice car <laughs> they feel good about so it might be worth asking the prospect if they're interested in in that you know sometimes you can have two paths you have the path of just want the problem solved or they want to know all about every detail and you, you'll know there'll be the occasional spreadsheet customer you have who wants a lot of information and uh I had a guy repairing my air conditioning the other day and he mistakenly gave out his phone number to one of his customers who's a rather elderly gentleman. Mm -hmm. And this guy calls him pretty much every day wanting to know in great detail, every specification of every component of this guy's repair, um, you know, where it's become an unsustainable situation for my poor repair technician. Cause he, he just, he opened up a can of worms that he shouldn't have, so yes, maybe some customers are interested and maybe some aren't. So it's about identifying um, which way do you need to help someone move forward in a way that makes it easy for them. Yeah, I like that concept and the simplicity of one way you could find out is ask them, do yeah. you want more detail than this? You know, you often try to identify those people that are drivers and analyticals and those kind of things there too. But maybe rather than having to guess that, you could actually just ask them the question, um, which seems to be a pretty nice and effective way of actually doing that too. So, so we're making sure, what kind of barriers do you see? So there's the language barrier that often gets in the way of people converting from that lead into a customer. What other barriers do you see often in the way? Well, I think people trying, trying um, typical tactics that they might've um, been trained on or read about that, that people just resist. You know, we don't like being sold. 
which is funny, like most people have a negative perception around it. We can recognize when we're being painted into a corner by mm. a salesperson and it's icky and we want out. So it's about not being um, too pushy and manipulative and predictable. Uh, but at the same time, the biggest problem salespeople have is they never actually ask for the order. <laughs> like research would show like 50% of salespeople never ask for the order. So I don't know if you've ever been into a store where you wander around and they, they usually say, um, you know, can I help you? And you say, no, I'm just looking. And then they go away. That's it. And then when you want to buy something, you can't find anyone. So it's, you know, you've got to, you've got to be there to facilitate that order help people be prescriptive, educate people and prescribe the right solution for them in a way that makes sense for them. James, do you have some thoughts about what that might look like asking for the order? If, you know, if I was a naturopath dealing with you or some kind of practitioner, what, what might that look like? Well, it's, um, you can use words like, um, so based on what you've told me and um, what we have here, here's what I would recommend for you. If you would like to go ahead with this. Right. And, and just as simple as that, yeah. Are you ready? yeah. would you like to go ahead? Yeah. And where people can, you know, go a bit too fast on they might say, well, will that be cash or credit card? You know, or yeah. they, they start getting into the slippery sales tactics that they, that they think make more sales, but I think will repel customers. Yeah. I like about, you know, what I'm hearing, if we go, you know, to kind of wind things up, we, we talked about at the beginning, the importance of sales and marketing and how really that was what's going to help our patients get the result they want. And then we come into here and we see that look, sales and marketing doesn't mean that I'm going to push James into a choice. In fact, I'm going to give him choices. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to do absolutely everything I possibly can not to be pushy and sleazy. You know, we often have our coaching clients say, oh, I don't want to be pushing sleazy. I'm like, good, please don't. I don't want you to be pushing sleazy either. In fact, I want you to be the opposite of that. Like in every choice you possibly can to be cool and helpful, like that's way better sales and marketing than pushing sleazy anyway. So um, yeah, it's, it, it, I, I, I like being reminded that sales and marketing is just really that being helpful to people. Yeah. And they look, they get smushed together quite nicely into a sentence, but they're, they're slightly different. Um, ends of the scale. Marketing is really just identifying a group of people and making sure they know what you have available. So that like literally go to the market. Um, you know, if you were selling jewelry, you would find a market at the rocks and you'd target that because that's where people go who buy jewelry, mm. right? So that's the marketing side. The selling is the change in situation from current to better. So that's like you, you're now at the market, you're at the table and you see the jewelry. How is it laid out? Would you like to, to hold it up and let the customer try the jewelry on and hold a mirror to them and let them see that they look fantastic in that jewelry? That's the sales process. Now the customer thinks, I look good in this. How much? Now we're having a sales conversation and your job is just to help them. Uh, and, and you could even like, again, you could put a label on it with the price. They don't even have to ask the icky question anymore. They just look at the price and one of two things will happen. They'll look at the price and leave it on and have another look in the mirror or they'll look at the price and quickly take it off as if it's like going to melt their neck. So that, that means they're either going to buy it or not at that point. Yeah. Oh gosh. I really like that concept of sales being a conversation from current to better. 
Um, it, it just, it, it feels good for me to be kind of having that conversation. And for me, the conversations I'm always having, you know, with the two mornings I'm still in practice, are really, you know, James, how healthy do you want to get? And as soon as I know how healthy you want to get, then it's a matter of, let me show you how to get there. Like th there is yeah. zero manipulation on, I, I'm not fussed about how healthy you want to get. You know, I, I have enough time managing my own health. Let me know what, where you want to get to. And I'm really good at helping you get there. Um, but don't expect to get Rolls-Royce health if you're not prepared to do, you know, take the Rolls-Royce steps there as well. So that, that, you know, that idea of a, you know, a conversation from current to, um, to where they want to get to is, is, is wonderful. So James, uh, any further steps that you want to? I'm cautious of your time here today. I feel like I could probably talk to you for hours, but I know that you're really busy there as well. We've talked through some of those profit levers from, you know, leading to customer to conversion as well. Um, anything that you want to kind of touch on as well before we talk about how our audience can find out more about you and, 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 and see where you are? Look, of the other profit levers, um, you know, we've talked about leads, finding the right people in the places they're at, talked about the conversions. Um, in terms of pricing, I'd advise against trying to be the cheapest in the market because that sucks for everybody generally. You get bad customers anyway at low price points usually and you don't have the margins then to actually give them great service and you're not that motivated. So that's my thoughts on pricing. Uh, most people, when they, when they pick one of the levers, they usually go to the price, increase the price. That's an easy win generally. Uh, but I would say focus whatever you can on frequency. What can you do to have a previous customer come back? And I've, I've actually made training on this recently because it's so important and I validated it with my own results. That is the key. That was the key to my selling success at Mercedes-Benz, having repeat and referral customers. It's a big part. Um, having good product obviously helps that. And then uh, the margin part, it's tempting for people to, to go straight for the margin. But that's probably the last thing I'd worry about the goal is to bring in a lot more money, then all your costs will easily be covered. Uh, cutting marketing and sales is the most common reaction for a struggling business owner and it's the exact wrong thing to be cutting. You know, Don't buy coffee for the coffee room or whatever, but don't cut the sales or marketing because that's the lifeblood of the business. Yeah. And for so often, the, for many of us in, in these kind of businesses too, we have very high fixed overheads, but very low kind of variable overheads. It actually doesn't cost me, you know, other than the face paper, to see two people, it's not twice as expensive for me to see one. You know, I've already got the building, I've already got the staff there as well. So those margins with volume tend to kind of increase naturally anyway. Um, as That's why if you build up your, your publishing assets, you... You compound those videos, then you can just reach out. You can magnify those videos with a little bit of ad spend and you can share it to an audience similar to your customer base. You know, there's a lot of things you can do on the marketing front to, to get big gains in, in your conversions. Yeah, great. So James, finally, just to kind of wind up from here, one of your expertises is helping people with their businesses put together recurring income, particularly in the forms of memberships. As I mentioned at the beginning of this, you were very helpful in me setting up a little, our, our community influencer program that we have there as, as well. If you could talk a little bit about that and let our audience know where they could go to find out more about you, if they were interested in, 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 in working with you or just, you know, consuming more of your content, your podcast, your videos, those kind of things. Well, there's plenty of podcasts available at superfastbusiness.com. In yes. fact, there's, there's two now. There's the audio one 
and then there's the video one. So if you want to see those little videos, you can subscribe to them on iTunes um, or YouTube or whatever. And you'll just see examples of what I'm doing that works that you could actually do for your own business. And um, inside Superfast Business Membership, that's where I help the business owners to grow their, especially their online components. I mean, of course, I've got offline business experience, decades of it, um, but I particularly like helping people get that edge online now. It's, um, it's something I've been most interested in. And if you want to dial up the frequency, then of course, subscriptions, whether it's a um, membership, but also services, subscription services are good. A lot of things, even a florist can have a subscription service, but they just don't realize it. If you look at Amazon, for example, Amazon Prime, which is a recurring subscription to have a premium service, they make $1,800 per member versus $600 per non-prime member of Amazon. So even if you have some kind of club or low ticket subscription service um, for one-time products, generally those people will buy more. Well, that sounds like a fabulous conversation. Maybe if I can uh, be so cheeky to get around to sometime in the, in the future. Of course. So. Yeah. James, thanks so much for being so incredibly uh, generous with us today. So super fast business um, is this, but I'm going to have a whole bunch of links in the show notes through here where you'll be able to find all the things that we spoke about, find out uh, where James is. Uh, he, he's been wonderfully helpful for us as Adio Media um, in uh, clearing and cleaning up a lot of our processes and helping us better serve you as well. So I, I mean, I couldn't give a better testimonial than um, to say he's the guy who we go to for help as well. So James, thanks for everything that you do. Thanks for helping me help my audience as well. And I look forward to seeing you inside your platform really soon. Thanks, Angus. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to come and check out the Community Influencer Program. It's my monthly coaching program where we take all this material and I'll work one-on-one -on -one with you to apply, implement, systematize, and help guide you and your practice to the next level. Now, you can join me on over at adiomedia.com forward slash join. That's adiomedia.com forward slash join. I'd love to see you in there.